Hey, it's Mark Brand, and welcome to Season 2 of Better. If you're new here, it's a podcast about hope and resilience and leaving the planet a better place than we found it. Another week, another incredible guest. This one, top of the list since day one. You know, I got to a point, I think for a significant portion of my life, I was in the Achievement Olympics. I'm like, what can we do? How can we add? What if this teammate artifact, the book itself, is enough for right now? What does it look like for you to pour into yourself? And then the feeling of never quite feeling satiated. Maybe if I do a little more and it was never enough. And I was just like, oh, well, what if I just be? What if I just like take a little time to go frolic? Over the last six years, I've learned so much by just being adjacent to Holly's work as a person in my life, as a dear friend, as a critical collaborator, as a teacher, but also have had the pleasure of breaking a lot of bread, shedding a lot of words and emotions. And today she joins us to talk about all of the reasons why uh, she's brilliant. I think that's the easiest <laughs> way for me to lead in. You know, that's it. It's, I, I'm going to do most of the talking about why you're brilliant, but I'm excited to pull so many tools. I mean, Holly, this is a show about tools, about being better, about getting better, about feeling better. And you are literally the mastercraft wizard of tool. Like there's drawers surrounding Holly in her mind. So that's how I introduce you. How do you like to introduce yourself these days? I'm still chuckling at I'm here to tell you all of the reasons why I'm brilliant. That is that is just that's humility right there. Um, I, I introduce myself as well. I'm, I'm Holly M. Coley Murchison. I'm an artist and a cultural geographer. And right now I'm focused on exploring work as a pathway to self and communal actualization. So in a nutshell, that basically means like my life and my body of work and my practice is all about trying to get as many people as possible to invest in their own actualization. Mm -hmm. So I study the human condition, desire and potential both within and outside of evolving definitions of work, asterisk, and workplace. And then uh, from my research and what I learn, I, I tell stories and I make artifacts and design and program spaces that help people both develop and channel their gifts and talents for their life's work and the fulfillment of their own life, livelihood, their personal fulfillment. All of that. And you know, you've heard me say this before, but this is one of many visits from Holly. Uh, she will be a, a consistent, if she'll grace us with her presence, reoccurring guest because of all of those lenses and the ways that these spaces are so desperately needed in this moment, internally, mm -hmm. externally, and within community. And so one of the things that you've created as an artifact is a book that I uh, consistently go back to. And when we met, you were completing it. You were, you were in the process mm -hmm. of completing it. And that's way back. You and I met in 2016 in person, yeah. IRL, yeah. at the Stanford D School, at the D School. And we were both there talking about a civic innovation fellowship. For me, it was around poverty uh, and street level homelessness and how we approach that. And for you, what was the specific centering point? And I think it was around the book too, for, for your presence there and what you were hoping to accelerate. Yeah. Dang, you're taking me back six years. It was around uh, communication and how we can use effective interpersonal and intrapersonal communication as a tool for folks to realize who they are and connect better with each other. And that was centered in the K-12 space. 
Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was working on a on on a version of Tell Me About Yourself then that was centered in K-12 curriculum. Uh, for those on the Canadian side, K-12 is in short form for the public support school grades prior to college. So kindergarten through grade 12. And the tools uh, in this book, Tell Me About Yourself, are, I would say, genuinely one of the biggest loggerheads to people being able to consistently find their ways in upward mobility. Let's say that, right? So mm. I, I picked up the book today and I had forgotten that I had wrote a piece for it, which is on the back cover. You did. Yeah, for you. And, it's, and I believe <laughs> this is still true for me, which says, Holly Murchison has shown me the way to communicate who I am in a hyper-connected and extremely isolated time. Remember, this is 2017-ish, right? When it was, I said isolated pre-pandemic <laughs> because of how we were wow. digitally, right? Where we were at. And I said, in an age of polymaths and disdain for braggadocio, this book is the key. I still firmly believe all of those words. And tell me about yourself. Uh, you know, the subtitle is Six Steps for Accurate and Artful Self-Definition. And if I was thinking about the tools that I wanted to share as an introduction to this audience with you, I can't think of better ones in the way that you summarize this. There's just so many major keys in the book. And so why, why this book? Why did you create it? First of all, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love you too, Um, so that's lucky. (laughs) I created it. Well, honestly, I created it for myself first because, you know, speaking to your testimonial for the book about polymaths, I'm a person who, and I say this in many interviews, I've worked over 25 jobs across eight industries. And I feel like when we make contact with folks, one of the first questions that we get is more of a demand or a command. It's like, tell me about yourself. And I felt so uncomfortable with the question. It felt so transactional and extractive. And it it always felt like, tell me more about you so I can know what you can do for me. Or like what we can do together was this like doing over being. And I got really tired of fumbling to navigate a response to that question in a window that felt like, oh yeah, you'll get it. Or you'll want to continue dialogue or I'll be able to filter and and decide if I want to continue dialogue with you. And I recognized that I wasn't the only person in that space. Mm. And I've always been crystal clear, maybe not about the how I was going to get there, but the why, you know, I show up in the world in the ways that I am and the why I care about the things that I do. And I really wanted to have a framework that helped articulate that why as I change and I grow um, and do so in a way that helped me make more meaningful connections that could help forward some of the ideas that I was seeking to, to manifest in the world or just like some of the growth that I was seeking to find as a person. And I thought, you know, a lot of my peers and colleagues and folks across the world of work could use something like that, too, because um, we're changing. Change is constant, you know, and I, I wasn't seeing a, a useful framework for myself or for others that could help articulate that change or even articulate the fact that we don't have the language for that change right now, but it's happening. Mm, that part for sure. And so I think the tool, if I can you know, bring it back to how it, it goes in conversation, right? So you, you are at a cocktail party begrudgingly. You are speaking to somebody <laughs> and they're like, yo, what, what do you do? And for people who work in many different spheres, I'm one of those as well. I would be like, well, I own this business. I own these businesses. There's 11 of them. One's a sushi restaurant. And I have a, a gallery, but I also, I really care about upward mobility and marginalized pop, but I, I'm a chef. And, uh, <laughs> and people are like, are you okay? 
Like, right. are you are you okay right now? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. I do a lot of stuff. <laughs> and when you say I do a lot of stuff, now that sounds like, ooh, I'm being aloof. I'm not trying to be aloof. I just don't know how to tell you. And so mm-hmm. in conversations with you, I think I distilled the first time. It was something like, I work at the intersection of upward mobility, food and agriculture, and second chances. And people would be like, whoa, what does that mm-hmm. mean? I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, we got something. Oh, we're, we're working poetry. That's yes. what it is because only one of two things happens from that interaction. One is like, cool, I'm in, you know, I'm a CPA. You're like, dope. How's that go for you? Or the other one is like, what does that mean? And, and tell right. me more about this part. And then that is the tell me about yourself because truly this book allows you to have the piece where people actually want to know more about what you do. And when you're working in impact, what could be more critical? I love, I also love that you said this is poetry because I think often we forget that like, oh, they're just words. But if we go way back, I mean, when I was in school, it wasn't called English. It was called language arts. Mm. So I think it's important for us to remember that language is an art form. And if we treat introductions like poetry, you're like, hmm, this line works here. But in this instance, like I'm going to switch this line for this bar here. This one, you know, hits a little different. So thank you for naming that as like it's poetry. I mean, if it wasn't already apparent, uh, holy hails from Harlem. And as, <laughs> as a rap fanatic, both of us, uh, we speak a lot about hip hop music and poetry. If, mm-hmm. if there's any, when we say bars, we mean it. I, actually, I was interviewing yes. a dear friend, Tara McGuire, a couple of weeks ago, and she wrote a book about the opioid epidemic and losing her son. And she said a whole bunch of stuff and I just couldn't help myself. I said, bars. And she said, what does that mean? So I had to explain. Perfect response. Right? And about poetry, oratory glory is one of Holly's many hats that she wears. And just say it a couple times fast. It's lovely. It's like syrup for the tongue. (laughs) And what's important to also define, because I love this for us as humanity, is the word polymath. And right? Mm. A multi-hyphenate, a polymath, a master of many, a renaissance person. Those are things that get thrown around a lot of the networks that we work with. And when people hear you do a bunch of things, they're like, oh, you're a renaissance man. You're like, I don't know what. Yes, no. I, I'm just a human being that really likes doing a lot of different things and attempts to do a lot of different things well. And when you think about a real life comparison of what that looks like in the times prior to us having to just do capitalism. I say, just do capitalism, right? So you got to choose a thing, do the thing, make the machine, make money for a certain amount of people. Prior to that uh, being the entire world, people were able to be scientists and artists at the same time because science is art and art is science. And when we look, I just walked through an exhibit of Leonardo da Vinci's 10 days ago and looked at all of the different work and seeing him making war machines, but also seeing him aspire to make flight machines and make the first bicycle and then paint the last supper. Like that isn't just like there was one. I believe we all are firmly, firmly, firmly thoughts. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, as humans, as beings in the world, we contain multitudes. There's so many layers. And I think we all have, we all are polymaths at heart. I don't think all of us are expressing our capacity for the multitudes, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're not all in there somewhere where we're layered in terms of personality, in terms of passions, desires, interests. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. So I put that in this conversation to dovetail into the book and the tools again, right? <laughs> so I'm putting those together just literally to watch them collide. And if I say to somebody, I'm a chef and I stop, 
then all of those biases and normatives, they've now watched The Bear, they've read Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, they are like, oh, I know what I'm dealing with. And if Mm -hmm. I say I'm a design thinking strategist, innovator, and social impact entrepreneur, people are like, I don't know what any of that means. And so for people's comfort, but also for my truth or your truth or many people's truth, how do the tools and tell me about yourself help us broach those conversations to create opportunity to be those things? How does that happen? I think at the heart of, well, I don't think, I know that at the heart of tell me about yourself, it's a story excavation and narrative development tool. So it is essentially designed for you to be able to unearth these all these moving parts that may on the surface seem disconnected and pinpoint how they're interconnected, right? So when I hear you, Mark, can you say the language you said about social entrepreneur and what you're exploring again? Yeah. So I'm like, if I say I am a design thinking innovator and I work in the border of social impact entrepreneurship, and I'm also a traditional entrepreneur and I'm a chef and I do all these things, I'm a radio host. Like, does does that, I mean, does it land for somebody? Does it feel weird for somebody? Like, did they stop listening after the first three words? Probably, right? Mm-hmm. I stop listening. I feel uncomfortable. You can see my body language as I say it. I look like I have anxiety. You're like folding inside of yourself. But it's, it's fascinating because I designed the method so that you could see all of the parts of yourself in it. So when I hear you say a design thinking practitioner, I'm like, oh, that's also a chef, right? Like cooking is design thinking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Is social entrepreneurship, is social impact? Because when we think about the, the importance of food, and what it means to feed people and feed each other and all the different layers around that. Again, it's, it's all poetry, but the methodology is really structured to help you say, here are all the moving parts of me. Here are containers for how I can catalog those things so that I can then pull them out and bridge them together. So for example, there's a portion of the methodology from the book that encourages you to tell stories through what I call the four spaces of discovery. You've got mm-hmm. your background and interests, You've got your values and beliefs, you've got your passions and aspirations, and you've got your skills and achievements. You can weave a story together talking about those four pieces so that in the end of an introduction, your title isn't who you are. Who you are led you to the role you're playing through a specific title. And so the method is really structured to help you center your being so that you can then articulate how your being comes to life through what you do. And I think that fundamental flip for folks is big because it's just like, well, oh, what do you do? And it's like, I'm a CPA. But yes, a CPA is like how your work shows up in the world. But that's just one of the facets of it. And I, I really was intentional when I mapped out the methodology of like titles will change just as much as people will. How can you talk about who you are at the core of where you're from, what you value and believe, what your passions are, and then how you enact those through work? I love that so very much because that's all we're actually, I mean, most of us are genuinely interested in, in a non-transactional hub, right? So there's certain cities in the world and we talk about them and we laugh about them where you're like, when you go to X city and we're not going to throw any cities under the bus today, we're not doing that game. We could do that another time, maybe, or not at all. But in certain cities, what you drive, what you earn, what you wear is critically important to where you are accepted into normative circles and like what it looks like Mm -hmm. in other spaces. Nobody wants to hear any of that or know about it. They just genuinely want to know what are you doing to make the world a better place? 
and how do you go about doing so so that we might be able to overlap and I might be able to put a battery in your back and vice versa in a non-extractionary way in a simpler like each one teach one let me lift you up exactly like and that's so important it's so important to us right now and we, I think in particular the last couple of years we realized how deeply our titles don't define us in any way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like Huh, that got all taken away. What are you doing right now to show up aside from banging and pots and pans for the nurses and dogs? Like, what are you doing? Yep. I was having a coffee with my partner this morning and I said, I'm interviewing one of my favorite people, like genuinely one of my favorite humans. And whenever I interact with this person, I get given all this light and energy of possibility. And I, I mean that with all sincerity. And she was like, okay, well, tell me, tell me what she does. And so I start telling her what she does. And I'm like, oh, also she jumped out of New York City and bought a farm with her partner. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they farm and they spend all this time on this homestead and she was like you know that that's a pretty big thing to pull apart and talk about that choice a lot of people that i love who are the most high functioning the hardest hustlers were like you know what i got 6 acres mm-hmm. i got some sheep i need some me time now everybody i'm doing this thing so i want to talk about what that looks like to live that intentional slower beautiful life while still holding the space to be a brilliant influence into the way that we create these methodologies or as you say artifacts wow that's such a big question what what i will say is if i did not make the choice to move to a place where i could move at a space that honored that these things take time mm-hmm. and all we have is time i am 100% clear that i would have died Period. The pace that I was moving, the desire that I had to create change, the idea that it needed to happen like now, 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 now was catastrophic on my body. So the choice to move was more so like a spirit driven ancestral choice. Like, hey, 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 let us tap you on the shoulder. This flesh that you're in, this flesh don't last forever. So we need you to pump your brakes and slow down. And, you know, I realized I was operating in the space of like hyper capitalism, like, all right, we got to go. We got to make these moves. We got to, you know, and I think space is one of the most important tools that we have to recalibrate, to like heal. Um, And I noticed that when when my partner, Coley, and I made the choice to become stewards of the homestead, we were like, ah, this is it. This is how we recharge to come back to work. This is how we reimagine our own relationships to work. Like we don't have to work a 60 hour work week. We could say Tuesdays and Thursdays we're in the studio and the other days, you know, we're at home because if we have these livelihoods where life is rotating around work as the sun, mm-hmm. <laughs> then we're never going to heal and actualize and grow. Whereas if we center life and living and being then, you know, we transfer our energetic resource to different facets of work. Um, so we made that choice like three years ago to purchase, to become stewards of the homestead. And now we're like, okay, now we can design spaces like this for many people to not come as a retreat or, you know, to go away, but for this to become a norm, you know, how do we help folks create spaces to nurture a rich interior life first? Welcome back to Better. We are now in a tutorial on how to create a homestead and be in the studio <laughs> Tuesday and Thursdays only, which is interesting. Those are my recording days. I'm like, that's kind of that's how I rock over here. But you can see I'm not in a homestead. I'm on the unceded territories, the Squamish, Snohomish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam nations, otherwise known as Vancouver, British Columbia by its colonial name. 
and we choose our spaces and where we are is such a true piece but it seems like we're trapped people feel super super trapped you know if mm. there's any feedback that i get consistently being part of the workforce and running a whole bunch of different companies that employ people one of the consistent pieces of feedback is it's too expensive for me to be in this place to do this thing that i want to do and some of my best and brightest and most spiritually aligned people just had to pull the ripcord and say, yo, I got to I got to go to Portland and like live elsewhere where, you know, $50,000 a year is more than enough for me to just be my being. And I, I can't do this thing where the median place costs $1.4 million. Like it just doesn't make any sense for my life and the way that I want to operate. I'm going to hit you with a quote that I love. It's really about Holly growing up in the, in the struggle and poverty and addiction and being intentional about your work. And the quote says, I've always made meaning through dreaming, and that came from this resistance. I grew up in a very tumultuous background. I had parents who battled with addiction, and it's so fascinating how people can be functioning addicts. Because with all that, my parents were really hardworking blue-collar workers. I watched my parents' jobs almost kill them. Now, because the synergy from what you said about the pace of your life and where it was going to where it's taken you is so honoring of all of that. And so I would love to hear you unpack a little bit of that for us, if that feels safe and comfortable. Yeah. You know, I got to a point, I think for a significant portion of my life, I was in the Achievement Olympics. I'm mm. like, what can we do? How can we add? How can we, yeah, how can we, boom? How can, It was just, how much can we? And it was just like, but what if this offering is enough? What if this teammate artifact, the book itself, is enough for right now? What does it look like for you to pour into yourself? And that I kept grappling with that question. I think it was that grappling and then the feeling of never quite feeling satiated. Maybe if I do a little more and it was never enough. And I was just like, oh, well, what if I just be? What if I just like take a little time to go frolic? What if I go take a walk? How does that feel? You know, um, that, that sensation, the sensation of crunching leaves under the tree, the sensation of like listening to the cosmos, the sensation of like tuning into my intuition and just like having witnessed how my parents lived their lives for better or worse. Like I know my mom is one of 13, my dad's one of like 15. So I could only imagine the immense pressure that they navigated not having tools for like mental health and like wellness. And I was like, but I do have those tools. So if I'm out here preaching that we need to utilize the tools we have to actualize, well, what does it look like for me to, to walk my own walk? Um, and a lot of it was just like a, deep spiritual work and having a spiritual practice that then we could talk more about that if you like. But that practice then allowed me to say, but how do you build a homestead? You genuinely have to decide. You have to decide that the life that you see for yourself and for those around you and the, the vision for the world you want to create is more enticing, more irresistible than any fear that might present itself. Mark told you I'm from Harlem. So there's a there's a phrase, you know, that we say is like scared money don't make none. Correct. And it's like, okay, I could be afraid of these things that I don't know if they will happen, but I'm afraid they might. Or I could lean so deep into the direction of love and just see where that lands me. And that has been a compass for me. And Mark and I, when we first met, like we synced up off this idea of love and love helps me make choices that fear would keep me far, far away from. And I am so confident 
Lauren Hill said this in an interview. She's like, I'm confident in what God is doing through me. I am so confident in what spirit is channeling through me that I would never let fear convince me to abandon that. And so if that's like, yo, you need to leave the city and go to this new town, you know, on Tutelo and Kiawe territory known as Winston-Salem, you need to go there and live there and get a homestead. I'm like, okay, bet. Let's do it. I don't know how, but we're going to sort it out. Yeah. You are an oath of manifestation legend. You know what I mean? Like daily, the oaths of manifestation that come when you show up and you really, truly provide service to yourself, to others and in love. Those things happen. People are like, I don't know. I've said something and disappointed. I'm like, you were half in. You let fear dominate. And the problem with this kind of stuff is it gets taken by rich white dudes and turned into rhetoric from stages and sold for thousands and thousands of dollars in attendance. And it diminishes and dismisses our divine power. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. And so when I watch people walking good in this way, and you and Coley are like, gold star example, right? Like, (laughs) yo, what's the worst that could happen? That's it. That's the question. When fear obviously comes up, what are your processes to deal with that fear as it arises? So I remember I messaged you this morning and you'd asked me about like themes for the show. And I was like, well, I'm going to get into my morning ritual. If I come out of this meditation and some themes come up, you know, we could go from there. And it's just like having some kind of ritual. I'm big on ritual and, and ceremony. So I do breath work first thing in the morning, you know, if, and if usually when I feel afraid, I'm not breathing. So I'm like, let me come back to like a good deep breath, you know, is, is what I consume, my diet. I know I need to eat like three to six times a day. And if my tank is on empty, I'm out of control. Like I know that if I have too much sugar, it's going to mess me up. It's going to make me anxious. My body's going to feel low. I'm going to feel really tired. If I have gluten, like same thing. So I pay a lot of close attention to what I consume, whether that's like what I'm reading, what I'm listening to, who I'm interacting with. I dedicate a lot of time in nature. Like I go for a walk every day and I talk to my ancestors. I think the way fear comes up is like, we'll feel that knowing and we're like, nah, but it's not tangible. Like I can't see it. I can't, I can't name it. So it can't be real. And it's like, yeah, but how many things do you go out in the world and trust every day that you can't see, touch, taste, or feel? Um, So having like daily ritual keeps me out of like the urge to give in to fear and just having people around me who, who love and care for me and having, you know, I've been doing depth hypnosis lately, which has been a game changer for rewiring my psyche. Uh, I have therapy. Um, I'm working on a movement practice where I can just like channel that, what I call, you know, fire energy, channel it in more healthy ways. Um, But that's, and, and loving up on my people, man. All of that. I mean, I'm nodding so hard over here. I think I just gave myself an adjustment. Like, I think I, <laughs> I heard a couple of clicks in the top up there. Folks, the parts that resonate for you resonate for you. And I think the other part that's so intentional, and you can hear this as Holly explains, your practices are your practices. That's it. I play rap 45s and my movement looks different, right? Like the things that I do are very different to what somebody else's do to connect with my own spirit. And what you do at home will very much be, you do not have to follow somebody else's guide. The guide is yours. You are the perfect person to execute the idea you have. 
And quote, I've been able to take my ideas and execute on them by starting really small, assembling good teams around me, not being afraid to get messy and try and doing the relentless work of continuing to sow on the seed that I've planted. Iterations, man, iterations as, as a recovering perfectionist and a person who just really appreciates quality. Mm. It's easy to get hung up on like, oh, but I'm not going to put it out till it's perfect, till it's to the corners. It's just like, imagine if you were a chef at a restaurant and you were like, no, we can't, don't send the meals out and let people are going to leave the spot. Like you gotta, you gotta put it out, you know? Definitely. Um, and I think if, if you going back to the idea of you're the perfect person to execute the idea you have, if you got the download, unless the download came and was like, yo, this is an idea. I need you to share it with Mark. If you got it, put your touch on it, you know, and make it yours. And I don't mean that in like a solo way, because there's nothing I could have made or created without the support of, you know, people I get to collaborate with from my therapist to my, my wife and partner. And I just think it's really important that everything we act on, we remember that it's, it's all iterative. My third grade teacher, who I actually went home to see a couple weeks ago, she is the person who taught me about the importance of praxis. And it didn't register for me until like now at 39. But I was like, oh, all this perfectionism stuff. I was like, my third grade teacher, every day she had us writing poetry, writing stories, writing poems. And she asked me every day to share. And she knows I was the shyest kid in her class. So when she sees the work I do now, she's like, I can't believe it. I was like, you nurtured this idea of praxis for me that every day I came and I wrote and whether I shared or not, I was still in practice. I was still loved. I was still worthy. That was okay. And I'm learning and encouraging other people to approach ideas in that way too. Like test it out, throw it on the wall, see what sticks. Ah, that doesn't stick. It's sliding off. It's just like recipes, you know, you tweak it and you tune it until you're like, Hmm, that's not perfect, but that's the taste I was going for. You know, our ideas are canvases in that way. I love all of that frame and the permission around perfectionism. It's not real. <laughs> there's literally no such thing. There's there's never, ever going to be that. And as people who appreciate quality, like I love that entire frame. I'm going to run that back for myself a couple of times, just in what you said there, because it's incredibly important. Separating our own understanding and let's say, call it coaching or mentorship or leadership in the ways that we will share that with people and be like, hey, it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be good and you have to be proud of it. And then we look internally and get very stuck because I will still slip back into perfectionism pretty consistently. And so as a leader uh, and as a mentor and as a person who works with people, when you give permission to not be perfect, uh, it's it's got to reflect backwards, right? You've really, and you've shared that with us in your own perfectionism and your quest for that. That also comes with the hustle because if you're in a melting pot of a thousand other creatives who are working 120 hours a week to be the next best, mm -hmm. what separates you, we believe, is our strive for perfection. What actually separates you is your authenticity and ability to, to, yes. ability to deliver yourself. Yes. So they're very different things. When we get caught, we get really, really caught. Uh. Two completely different things. <laughs> and who's meant, who's meant for us will be with us. That's it. We have to also know that we are going to have the moments if we're aware and we're present and we're not in our own bravado to intersect with people that will change the trajectory of our life and vice versa. Uh, that is going to happen for you. And so if you are so focused 
uh, on how everything is going to be meticulously placed. I always say tweezers, right? Because chef tweezers make me crazy. I want to slap tweezers out of people's hands. I use a giant spoon. <laughs> You've eaten many of my dinners. Like I am on the plate. It is. I've never seen you use tweezers. Can you imagine? <laughs> I use my hands, right? And we're family style and it's big heaping plates of abundance of beautiful things. And it's about the flavor. And of course, visually, the presentation is there. But can you imagine me placing a gel or like, and, and no slight to people, like bless up. Get your three Michelin stars. Do your thing. That is your craft and your art, and we love you for it. But I've seen too many people die in the pursuit of that thing, literally. So the common thread here is how are you going to have longevity mentally, physically, emotionally, in relationships, spiritually? And I was hoping that's where we get today. You know, it's, it's bringing me back to teammate. And it's so funny because, like, I used to, like, kind of roll my eyes to myself every time I come to an interview and folks are like, let's talk about your book. And I'm like, why well, we got to talk about this book? Like, I, my partner, Coley, I, she teases me all the time because I'm like, I don't want to be known as, like, the teammate person. But she's like, you're the teammate person. You know what I mean? And I just, right. it, your commentary brings me right. back to that. And I know we're in this big conversation globally now around, like, individualism. And hearing you name that brings me back to authenticity and individuality and what the teammate book is all about, right? In this narrative excavation and this story development, it's like you won't chase perfectionism if you know who you are. And I feel like we come into this world like knowing we know who we are, we know our assignments. And then depending on how we're nurtured and raised over time, we either get closer to that or further away. And so life can become this chase to try to get back to yourself. Or it's like, you know, I'm grounded in this knowing, which is why when we witness people who are self-assured, we're like, okay, I see that. I want that for myself. And instead of doing the internal work of getting to self and knowing self, we're like, oh, I need to chase that and try and do it how that person's doing it. It's like, no, 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 no. If tweezers are your thing and you want to put the gel and the little, you know, do it. But if you're a person that's working with your hands, but the only way to know is to go within. Like you have to, and it could be scary in there, but it's you, you know, like I know we talked about how perfectionism isn't real. It's because how you arrived in the world, how you show it up as you are, that's it. That's the perfect model. That's it. You're just going to fine tune it. You're going to dress it up like <laughs> you were ready off the lot. You know, there's just maintenance that you, you know, you have to continue to do. And until we we all or a critical enough mass of us get to a point where we're willing to do that interior work how we come together will continue to suffer. The entire reason for my being in my assignment from two years old has been get people together, may help them see each other, help them be safe. Simple. That's the assignment. Hard, but simple. Right? It's not the impossible task, but a life well spent, if you will. I just love that idea of you were ready off the lot. Like you came out, right? And we, we, you and I have been in rooms for Deloitte or Edelman, these big consulting firms who have built play pens essentially for executives to come and like people getting into medicine and LSD and all these other things. They're just really going back to their original program. Mm -hmm. If I play with Lego long enough and goofy enough and have enough espressos, can I be a child again? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes. And you've, you've always been. All of these other masks that people put on, all this other conditioning is really taking away any of your joy or purpose. And the longer you stay out, the harder it is to go back. Yes. <laughs> right? And people are so terrified of being alone with their own thoughts because mm -hmm. of all of the conditioning, the traumas, the bias, the, the relentless PTSD that almost everybody at this point is suffering from. And you can't stop and do that unless you build the practices, unless you trust yourself, unless you remember who you are. 
you and I got to do some really fun work over the pandemic with some companies that don't need to get named, but we got to show up and teach people tools, Mm -hmm. yours internal mine in nourishment and also how to, you know, differentiate with food and nourishment. We don't want too much of that sugar and what a gift. And every one of those interactions I believe is enough. I'm learning. What's the working edge for you right now? What are you excited about? Oh my gosh. Right now I'm excited about, so I'm going to keep bringing up food references because now I see, well, I've always seen most things in food and music. Music is actually how my career started, but that's a different conversation. Um, I always saw T-May as the door. T-May is like, if we're in the kitchen, T-May is the mirepoix. It's like, this is the foundation. If we're going to cook anything else, you got to have this base ready. Like, do you do you know yourself before we move any direction? And my next focal point in my work, I was like, oh, T-May has always been about work. But like, how do we define work? Like, can we expand into that? So my my next body of work is... Um, an ecosystem called Portals. And it really is this deep dive into how work and our workplaces can be portals for us to self-actualize. So over the past three years, I've been working on, (laughs) I'm giggling because I'm like, this one-year master's program I was in, three years later, working on this thesis around what does it look like for us to reimagine the future of work um, and do so in a way where people feel like the work that they're doing is work that they love and it's on their own terms and it doesn't run interference with like their actual livelihood. Um, And so I'm really excited for that thesis to live out in the world, but more importantly, what's being developed around that thesis is just like this ecosystem of media that introduces new ways for folks. It's just like, I know what the media tells you about work, but meet Mark Brand. Witness Mark and Mark's portal. And you're like, oh, shit, that's what work can look like? Yep, yep, follow me. Meet, you know, Dr. Coley Murchison here on this homestead and really showing people examples of what work looks like and how people are defining it so they can tap into their own agency to to do that and define it for themselves. It's like, let me show you a model. You're scared because you've never seen it before? Let me show you 10 ways that people are doing it. And here's some tools for the how. So media that leans more toward not just the what, but like the how and the why. So folks can feel like Mm. these aren't anomalies that they're seeing. They're people just like them. And they too have the agency to enact um, and create a life that feels good for them. So I'm amped about portals. Yeah. Looking under the hood of what these existences are and how people can go about them is got to be one of the most important things for us to do right now. I can remember being in Panama City. I was working for an organization, helping them with culinary exploration. They become one of the fastest growing, like, quote unquote, hostels on the planet now, right? They take over places. They make $5 hammocks overnight and then like bigger rooms. And I was helping them with some culinary stuff. And I said, who's your core audience? And they said, digital nomads. And I was like, you know, this is 2015 or 16. I was like, I have no idea what that means. (laughs) And they're like people who work in tech and on their computers for a living that want to be in beautiful places to do so because they don't want to be confined to an office. And I was like, who would ever let them do that? Wow. (laughs) Like my own biases at play, right? I'm I'm like, what do you mean? Like people go to offices to work and they're like, yeah, kind of. Because my work is all in execution, mm-hmm. right? It's in like frontline stuff. This We put hands on tools. We do the thing for, you know, seven to nine hours a day, depending on the shift. And then, you know, you go to the rest of your life. But this is, it's a great life and you make a good living. And I'm watching folks with literally waves lapping up to their toes on Photoshop, making stuff happen. And I'm like, 
Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you figured it out. That's the cheat code. And your life here costs you $12 a day and you're getting paid $300 US an hour. Okay. You you figured something out mm-hmm. here. And then when we run into other folks, one of my biggest curiosities, I always ask them if they're comfortable. I'm like, do you mind me asking how you earn or pay for your life? Like, just so I can understand, so I can then help other people do the same thing because I watch folks move. And if you don't know where the bag is available, it's very hard to consider leaving where the bag is secure. Yep. Right? It's simple. The hows and the access points and the preparedness. Yeah. If you don't know how and where the other bags are, how can you feel good about leaving what feels secure? Even if what's secure is killing you. That's the wildest part for me. It's just like, ah, I know, I know there's, there's hella cons to this, but I got to pay my rent, you know? Show me another way. The one, right? There's, so there's a, uh, how do we say it? It's like leaving a bad relationship and you're doing it in mm-hmm. steps, right? When you talk with people, I'm like, is there a way that you can take the work that is sucking your soul and carve just 10 hours a week to do something that fills your vibration? And see what that might look like. And so, of course, when we work with volunteer space stuff, people bring their brilliance and their, their light and their energy to us. And you've got to witness it in our spaces yeah. firsthand and got to contribute to it. When you see what that feels like, people walk out of there floating and they're like, I just want to do this. And, you know, the other comparison that I have to rip that security is we've got this beautiful young black and indigenous woman who's brought so much energy to our organization. I'm meeting with in a couple hours again, who's come back as our communications person, used to serve in our diner. And she served in our diner as she was going to school. She went and worked corporate. She did a couple of things. And she came back and she said, I can't do these things because mm-hmm. my life is not going to be the way I need my life to be. If She's 25. Yeah. If I do these things. And when people say to me, how come you don't have any staffing shortages when everybody else is short of staff? I'm like, because people come to work for a feeling of actually doing something. You're designing it wrong. You're like putting ping pong tables and slushy machines in the workspace and thinking that that's going to appease somebody. And it's not. They actually care about life on mm-hmm. earth. <laughs> and so how do you design for that stuff? I'm going to kick the soapbox aside for a second and say, you know, when you are mentoring and coaching people, particularly folks in your community, how do you say these are the first steps to moving in this direction? I usually don't tell them the steps. Like I'm clear that my responsibility when I'm mentoring or coaching or facilitating is just to stand in as a mirror. I'm going to ask you some questions, but you have the answers within yourself. It's just an exercise in going within. And I love that the the young woman you mentioned is 25 and has that knowing like once I can't do this. It's like because once you know, you can't unknow it. The discomfort around like not acting in the knowing is just like, oh, you're just going to keep getting reminders. So I just hold up for people of like, what what feels good? Like, what do you need to interrogate around what feels good for you? We actually go through teammate. I'm like, well, what are you passionate about? What do you value? What do you believe? And then I ask them the hard questions like, well, when you look around you and where you are, are you enacting your values and beliefs in the work that you're doing right now? And some of them are like, oh, damn, I'm not. And it's like, okay, do you, do you feel like you're in integrity? Ah, damn, I'm not in integrity. And not to shame, but to say, okay, what does it look like for you to get back in integrity? I feel like I got to leave this job, but I got to pay my rent for the next. Okay, cool. Now it's like, do I need to connect you to resources around like finance, right? Because I have a good friend, Paco De Leon, who has a great book, Finance for the People. It's just like, okay, save what you can, you know? And then we then we reverse engineer. 
All right. Like realistically, because I'm a rip the bandaid off kind of person. And I if that's not your for you. Cool. I get it. I just know that I learned my lessons like I just it just has always been like Phoenix rising through the ashes. Things get hard, 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 hard. And then I'm like, nope, no mas. We're out of here. Like we are ripping the bandaid off. I advise Mark's plan of just like, you know, slow and steady. I have my good friend Ash is always like, what's your zero to one? And Coley often holds up, like, what are you solving for? Like, you're in the future, but what are you solving for right here, right now? Like, okay, you realize you need to leave your job. What's a realistic timeline for that? Like, you door dashing $500 a month? Okay, can you door dash half that? What could you do with that $250? You could stash it to the side to do XYZ? Okay, cool. You got passions you want to explore? Yeah, you miss painting? The painting class is what, $25 a week? Dip into half of that DoorDash budget, now you're painting. And the more you find yourself in practices that are rooted in love, the easier it is to step outside of anything that doesn't feel like it is carrying that love vibration. So I'm just like, I ping pong questions with folks. I'm like, what about this? What about this? And then they're like, okay, I'm gonna go marinate on that. And then my work as mentor is like, I'm, I'm a strategic systems thinker and I can also get in like the feelsy depth places And I'm like, okay, now let's make a plan. These are the four things you said you wanted for yourself. What are the action steps? What are the goals for the year? Okay. What are the actions you're taking quarter to quarter? Okay. How do those actions line up month to month, week to week, day to day? Great. Now you're enacting something that feels like a pie in the sky vision, but now you actually have tangible steps with it. So I meant it by mirroring and then being like, okay, now let's get actionable. Let's get tactical. And, you know, you adjust and fine tune because it's all praxis, you know? Yeah. I think one of the themes that I'm going to pull out from that, just because I think it's incredibly important. Thank you for that download. Mm. But also the number one step is awareness and admission. You got to go within. There's no getting around it. Right. There simply is not. And those awarenesses never stop, by the way. Like you, people are like, I went to the self-help thing. I learned a lot about myself and how I talk over top people. I'm like, mm, what's under that? What's under that? You never felt seen? How was, how was childhood? What, what were your folks like? Did you get bullied? Like, There's so many layers to everything that we interact with. And as we pull it all back, it's like, why do we show up in the world the way that we do? And why are we in the world that we're in? You know, We actually, if you do self-work, you can see the layers of the pain and hold empathy for, let's call it sides, because that's where everything's been so polarized. You're like, I know why this coal miner in Nebraska voted the way he did. Mm. I know exactly why. It's not maybe. Do I think he's an evil person? No. No, I've, I've been in those circles of influence. I know what that looks like, right? And this this perpetuation of violence societally and on ourselves and externally is because we can't get into the admission space. Can't can't own shit. Like this whole thing was wrong, and I need to be open to making amends everywhere that I operate, and also with with self and. People can't even possibly fathom. They, they don't even want to say that they like misspoke. Mm. We're so ingrained in this perfection movement or so ingrained in this like I am so I hold myself to the standard that even interpersonally. Yeah. Be like, that's not what I said. <laughs> <laughs> who cares? It's wild. Who cares? It's wild. And you got to get to that point where it's a who cares point because otherwise you're in this battle of like right and wrong. And trust me, I, same. Like I grew up on the debate team. I was trained. <laughs> yeah trained to win by being right, you know, or having the argument that is like voted up. Like, I'm like, okay, cool. That shit does not work in healthy interpersonal relationships. I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, I got this. I used to take notes like, okay, you're going to say this, this, this. I'm preparing my rebuttal as you speak to me. And I'm like, 
first of all, no one's going to want to be in a relationship with you long term. And it's just like, there's no badge for being right. Like you don't win a trophy for it. You don't, you can't take it with you. It's just like being integrity and be committed to understanding yourself and being understanding in relationship because we're all going to do harm. We're all going to like, we're all going to do it, you know, for better or for worse. We're like fumbling through this world, like figuring out who we are and that willingness to be aware and make amends and be honest when you're like, yo, I had a conversation with my partner recently. I was like, yo, I was wildly out of integrity. I apologize. Like, here's what I see. Here's where I was. I understand how that affects anyone else who I claim to be in integrity with in relationship. And here's my commitment to different behavior. How does it feel to release those words when you do? And how do they land? Oh, it feels great. I mean, for my partner, she looked at me like, wow, thank you. (laughs) There was a pride that I could see in her eyes because she was like, I'm glad that you were able to arrive at that on your own. That's growth, you know, without me having to hold, hold that up for you. You know, it's liberating. And if you are afraid to be honest with yourself, it's going to, you're going to have a hell of a time being honest with, with anyone outside of you. So it was received well, and I felt good about it. I go through my own loops of like, okay, well, be honorable to yourself first. You know, there's so much fear. I have full-blown abandonment issues in relationship Mm -hmm. because of my, just my whole thing. And so it shows up for me where I'm like, ooh, but if I don't have the higher ground, then this person won't see me in moral fortitude or like, what are you talking about? Whole conversation with yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And, And you know what? You're just, you're dope and you do dope shit. Just, just stay there. Like believe in yourself and believe in your own the way that you show up and that you're in a relationship and that you're a loving, wonderful, caring friend and partner. All of that, if that is true, nothing else should should take dominance in, in the in the conversation, right? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. In I theory. That, I love that we got here. <laughs> I love that we got here. Me too. I, you could, we, I know. I know we both got some serious Leo placements in our in our natal charts. So <laughs> that that comes with some things, you know, that you gotta be willing to work through. All of the things that you've shared with us today are direct compass points on that. The best part about Tell Me About Yourself, first of all, aside from the fact that it exists is incredibly important for everybody to own, is the top of the book says an action guide. Yes. This is not for you to wildly pontificate about something that might, this is like, this Mm -hmm. is how you do this for yourself and therefore change your trajectory. Get the book, just get the book, period. It'll all be linked out in all the resources here, of course. Um, Follow Holly and Coley, both, you know, if you want to see joy in action and love in action, radical love and radical joy in action, um, with all of the things that come with that, please, you know, enjoy the journey. I do immensely, uh, and have in real life and in all the other ways. Uh, I love collaborating with you. I love colliding with you. Uh, you are a gift and thank you for spending time with us today. I love you very much. Thank you, friend. I love you too. As always, I deeply appreciate your attention and your intention for being here. To make sure not to miss any of the upcoming episodes, click on that subscribe button and we'll notify you every time one drops. You can also follow along for guest announcements and more on socials at Mark.Brand and at The Better Pod. Until the next conversation, thank you again for listening.